Father of glory, we thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that we are born again. That we are regenerated. That we have eternal life. That we have the fullness of the spirit. That we are sons of God. We are so glad that we are here this morning to receive your word which is spirit and life. Flood our hearts with the revelation knowledge of your son Jesus. And let us know why you called us. What are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints? What is the exceeding greatness of your power to us who are believed? Fill us with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That we'll walk worthy of you unto all pleasing and bearing fruits unto you and increasing in the knowledge of God. We ask that in this service you heal also. You comfort also. You stir up also. You ignite also. You empower also, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Let my words be distilled as dew in the hearts of your people. Let this message not come only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much conviction and assurance. We thank you, Father, for a glorious feast in your presence. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you ready for the word? You, you don't seem like you are ready. Praise God. Now this is Love and Grace City Church, uh, Heavens University. Anytime you're coming for service, you just come with a diary and a notebook because there are a lot of things you're going to learn that you cannot keep in your mind. Hallelujah. So, we want to continue with um, our long deserted series on the five crowns, which I retitled The Doctrine of Reward. We called it Heaven's Reward System. Heaven's Reward System. Okay, so I don't, I don't really like the in and out. I don't like it. It's really distracting me. So please tell anybody going in and out to just stop it. It's really affecting me. Hallelujah. So we spoke about the doctrine of rewards or heaven's reward system. And I always love to do a recap so that you can be refreshed we have explained that though we are sons of God, we are the righteousness of God, we are forgiving people. There is also a certain reality of fact that every believer must also understand. We are 
also called into spiritual occupations. Now please follow my teaching carefully. There are spiritual occupations we are called on to that gives us a picture of God's reward system. The Bible calls us soldiers. The Bible calls us farmers. The Bible calls us athletes. Why? Soldier signifies endurance. That means we are called to endure. The Bible calls us farmers. That means we are called to hard work. The Bible calls us athletes. That means we are called to discipline. The Bible also calls us code laborers, building. We are builders. And these are occupations that comes with rewards. Praise God. So we need to understand that God is a rewarder. Let me give you some few scriptures. God is a rewarder. Revelation chapter 22, the verse 12. The Bible says, and behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. So God gives rewards. Very important reality. God gives rewards. Then he continues to say that to give every man according as his work shall be, not according as his faith shall be. So God rewards work after you are saved. First Corinthians chapter 3, the verse 8 and the verse 9. The Bible says, Now he that planted and he that watered are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Now follow it very carefully. So God has a reward system. God rewards. Hallelujah. Colossians chapter 3, the verse 23 to 25. The Bible says, and whatsoever ye do, he says, do it heartily as unto the Lord. So what you do in God's kingdom, the Bible tells us must be as unto the Lord. And not unto men. Knowing, so every believer should know this, that the Lord of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. That means there is reward for serving Jesus. Don't just live your Christian life. Serve Christ. In every capacity, in every potential, and in every gift that he has given to you. Listen, if you have a gift of God in your life, if you have a potential, if you have a talent, until now you've been a Christian and your talent is not serving Jesus, you will weep in heaven. I'm telling you this. You will weep in heaven. The Bible tells us to wipe away tears. These are tears of believers. Those who regretted when God shows them all the opportunity they had to use whatever God gave them for his service. And yet, they chose not to. You will weep in his presence. There will be gnashing of teeth in his presence. 
And this teaching is so crucial because every believer must understand that God is not just a father. He is a judge. Not just a judge, but a righteous judge. And he shall give to every man the reward of his labor in his kingdom. I'm teaching good here. So we explain that there are five crowns in the New Testament that needs to be observed. We have explained that New Testament crown um, is, is a reward that is given to believers. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 from the verse 24, telling us that any athlete that wants to win the prize for the race must master or discipline himself. Because there are crowns at stake. Unfortunately, the crowns for physical athletes are perishable. But the Bible tells us that our crowns are not perishable. Praise God. But you see, you need to understand that we've, we explain that the crowns that we are going to receive are not physical or metallic. They are not golden crowns. That doesn't mean that they are not, they are not literal crowns in heaven. But the crown of scripture is not literal. The crown symbolizes a reality greater than itself. We said crowns, number one, is, is a royal badge of honor. When someone is crowned, it's a royal badge of honor. Otunfo does not go everywhere with his crown. But when you see him, you know he's a chief or the king. So the crown only represents a badge of honor. Are you following this thing? We said it's a royalty, it's an exaltation. Number two, we said it's a symbol of authority. So the crowns you're going to receive in heaven are symbols of authority that is going to be given to us based on our labor. Number three, we said crown is that we separate men from men. The reason why Otunfo is different from any other ordinary man is because of his crown. It, it makes him distinct and unique. When we get to heaven, our crowns, which is the reward system of heaven, is what is going to differentiate the kind of labors we labored when we're on earth. Number four, we said a crown signifies beauty and riches. We will all not carry the same glory. In 1 Corinthians 15, when you read from the verse 45, no, specifically from the verse 35 downwards, you're going to realize that we are all going to carry different degrees of glory. And our glory is going to be intensified based on our labor. Your spiritual investment. Those who spend time laboring in prayer as a life, laboring in fasting, laboring in scripture, growing spiritually, their glory is going to be exactly as their investment. Ladies and gentlemen, you can never reap from where you have not sown. You can never redraw from any investment you have not made. You cannot go to Ecobank and tell them, give me my treasury bill returns when you have not put any treasury in the bill. You cannot go to an investment company and ask them to give you returns when you never filled any form, when you never deposited any money in that bank. It's not possible. It's not possible. So, you, you, you are only going to redraw from an investment you have made. I'm teaching good here. So, what is the quality of your spiritual investment? I've always been saying that the only thing that will go along with you into eternity are spiritual things that you attained when you were on earth. Your car, your phone, your clothes will never go along with you. Somebody will possess all the physical things. But these spiritual things become a royal badge of honor 
that we take to heaven. That is why you must take your service with God. You must take your, take your relationship with God as most treasured above any other thing in your life. Hallelujah. So we said these crowns are not necessarily something that we wear on our head, but they are the glory, the authority, the beauty, and the outshining of our resurrected bodies in eternity. So a crown of, is of value for what it implies than for what it is. So the crown we are, we are going to receive in heaven is for what it implies rather than what it is. I'm teaching good here. In Revelation chapter 19, the verse 12, the Bible tells us that Jesus had many crowns. Watch that. He says his eyes were like flames of fire and on his head, he didn't say heads, were how many? Many crowns. So if Jesus has one head and on that head he has many crowns, how does the crown fit him? Are you following this thing? On his head were how many? Many crowns. So imagine it's singular metallic crowns. How will you arrange it? Because Jesus has only one head. So definitely, these crowns must, must be more than a physical crown. And we see many crowns there because I strongly believe that Jesus has all the crowns that we are attaining. That's why he has many crowns. Listen to this carefully. You can write it down. I don't think I shared it at the time. No believer will be judged for his standing in Christ. Rather, he'll be judged for his walk in Christ. Your standing in Christ is your position. You will not be judged for being the righteousness of God. Rather, you'll be judged by how you walked in that righteousness. Follow this carefully. You will not be judged for your faith. Rather, you'll be judged for your works. Or what we call the work of faith. You will not be judged for your life. Three, you'll be judged for your living. So number one, you will not be judged for your standing in Christ, but you'll be judged for your walk in Christ. Number two, you will not be judged for your, your faith in Christ, but you'll be judged for your work of faith in Christ. Number three, you will not be judged for your life. Eternal life cannot be judged. It's the life of God. But you'll be judged by your living. How you lived with that life. We need to understand that in time, the fire of heaven prunes us. Currently, the fire of heaven prunes us. It prunes our lives. But in eternity, God's fire will not prune us. It will prove us. It will try us. So in time, the fire of God prunes us. It shapes our lives. In eternity, the fire of God will prove us. It will prove of what sort you are. Hallelujah. I'm helping someone. We explain that there are five crowns of the New Testament. The first crown is what we call the crown of righteousness. We got that um, from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. We said the crown of righteousness is also called the crown of watchfulness. It is for those who 
in anticipation of the return of Christ, govern their lives rightly. Follow. It is for those who in anticipation of the return of Christ lived their lives to please God righteously. So there are rewards for righteous living in anticipation of Christ. You know Jesus is returning. So therefore, I must live my life as if I know and I'm aware that he's returning. In 2 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, the verse 2, the Bible says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not appear what we shall be, but when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he really is. Now look at the next verse, the verse 3. He says, And every man that has this hope, knowing that Jesus will return, purified himself, even as he's pure. If you're expecting a very important guest or visitor in your house, you keep your house clean. You clean the toilets, you clean everywhere because you're expecting an important visitor. The Bible is telling us that because we are expecting an important visitor one day who's going to return, we have to keep this body, which is a house, clean. By purifying it, by walking in purity and righteousness. Are you following this thing? So we explain that they are, we explain righteousness in three lights. We said, first of all, we have the gift of righteousness, which is God justifying you and declaring you righteous, not because of what you have done, but because of your faith in Christ. Please follow this. You are not righteous by what you do. You are righteous by what Jesus did. It is on the basis of what Christ did that you are justified and made righteous before God. There are many Christians who have missed this reality. They are trying to do right so they can be made right. It's impossible. That's why Jesus came. Nobody in his strength can live a righteous life. Nobody in his strength can be called a righteous man. You are declared righteous when you have fully obeyed the law. And no man fully obeyed the law. Telling us the weakness of man. So God himself must give you his righteousness. And that righteousness can only be received by the faith of Jesus. In Romans chapter 3, the verse 20, the Bible tells us, Therefore, write that down, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. He says the next verse, But now... The righteousness of God without the law is manifested. That means if righteousness in the Old Testament came by the law, the Bible says in the New Testament, there is a new righteousness that has come which is apart or without the law. That means that righteousness is not attained by obeying the law. What righteousness is that? The next verse says, which righteousness, the verse 22. Next verse. Even the righteousness of God, which is of, which is by, you can only attain righteousness only by believing Jesus. He is your righteousness. When you believe in Jesus, you are made right with God. It is on that stand that you can stand in God's presence and pray. You don't come to God because you think you did something good in the course of the week. That's wrong. It's an illegal Christian practice. 
He says, even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all who come to church early. Does it mean you don't come to church early? He says, upon all who believe. So when you believe in Jesus Christ, he declares you righteous. We call that a gift of righteousness. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. The Bible says, as many as receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. He says, if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more dead that receive. So we have to receive this thing because it's a gift. It is on the, the, the foundation and on the basis of receiving the gift of righteousness that we come to the second light of righteousness which we call the fruits of righteousness. So you first receive the gift of righteousness by faith. Are you righteous? Yes. On what basis are you righteous? Because I believe Jesus. On that foundation, you are to produce what we call the fruits of righteousness. Because if you have received that seed, that gift of righteousness, it must produce a certain life. A mango tree does not produce guava fruits. It will produce mango. So if you are truly the righteousness of God, you will prove it by living right. So the second light of righteousness is what we call the fruits of righteousness. You must give evidence to that reality in your spirit. Then, on the, on, on the ground of the fruits of righteousness, which is what you produce or what you do by receiving the gift of righteousness, you are now crowned with what we call the crown of righteousness. Which is the reward given for birthing fruit out of the gift of righteousness. Are you following this thing at all? We have done those teachings already. I'm just re- doing a recap to refresh your mind. So go for the teaching. This is part five. Go for the teaching and uh, get blessed by it. Now, number three, or the, sorry, the second crown is called the incorruptible crown or what we call the victor's crown. This is a crown that is given for every sacrifice you made for the Lord. Every discipline you endured, every sacrifice you made for Jesus will be rewarded. It is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the verse 24 to 27. It is for those who keep their eye on the goal and brought their bodies under subjection, disciplined their body and exercised self-control. Praise God. Every illegal sexual promiscuity that you avoid or flee from in discipline to please the Lord, it will be rewarded. Are you following this thing? Every sacrifice you endure for the Lord, athletes are rewarded not just for the race. The race was just the final show. The athlete prepared three years when his friends were sleeping, he was on the field. When his friends were eating chicken with oil in it, this guy was just taking uh, peanut or something. And he was living in self-control. People were chilling. This guy was training three years. 
what actually was rewarded was not the race. He was rewarded for the labor that prepared him for the race. So all the endurance you did because you loved the Lord. Jesus was your race. He was the goal. He was the focus. He was, he was the one you pursued. And out of that, you removed all distractions and sacrifice for him. You will be rewarded. Are you following this thing carefully? So an athlete checks, number one, his diet. Number two, he checks his sleep. Number three, he, he checks hardship. Four, he checks sacrifice. And five, he checks commitment. These are five things you see in the life of an athlete. And it must be seen in the life of every believer because you're a spiritual athlete. Number one is your diet. Please write that down. You cannot be a, a, a faithful Christian if you love food. If, if food is your best friend, you eat three times a day from Monday to Sunday. I can assure something will happen to your spiritual life which won't be good. Because you won't be able to wake up at dawn to pray. It's not possible. You'll be too full, so you will fool. Hallelujah. So he checks his diet. A believer must check his diet. You wake up in the morning, you don't just go and take food and eat. No. Control your appetite. Read your Bible before you touch any food. You are a disgrace if you eat before you... Be... Listen. You are a big disgrace eh, to the kingdom of God if you eat first before you engage in spiritual realities. You are what? A big disgrace to the kingdom. Because once you are you, you are full when you have eaten. It is difficult to read your Bible. You will sleep, especially if it is cocoa and boflut. Or watch it. You will definitely sleep to the glory of Satan. <laughs> you must practice what our fathers did. NB, NB. No Bible, no breakfast. That's how God has designed it. The first person you will interact with before you do anything is God. If you have not done that, don't do anything. God. Are you following this thing? And you will be rewarded for that sacrifice. So he checks his what? Diet. Number two, his sleep. If you are a believer who loves sleeping, you cannot have this crown. This crown is not for, it's not for sleepers. It's for watchers. You sleep, sleep. You will sleep. There are believers who sleep 14 hours a day. In pieces, obey you three hours in the afternoon. You do four hours mid afternoon, do uh, six hours in the evening. What, what do you want in life? No, those who even accomplish great things, I'm telling you, there are people who don't sleep. Go and ask Bill Gates if he's sleeping. Meanwhile, he's already rich. Go and ask those who are doing the season movies you are watching. Go and ask if they are sleeping. Preparing by you. Christian, the average Christian loves sleeping. You will fail in your work with God if you were a sleeper. Look at what happened to the foolish virgins. They slept and they didn't know that their candle was going off. When you sleep, eh, you are not aware of your surroundings. When you sleep as a believer, you will never become aware of your spiritual surroundings. 
When you sleep, sleep is a sign of inactivity. Sleepers are those who are inactive in the spirit. That's why witches wake up at 12 a.m. They are active in the spirit. Whilst you are sleeping, it's carrying a broom. Occults. They do everything at the time when weak people are sleeping. Weak people are people who love sleeping between the hours of 6, uh, 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. So, if you don't wake up around 5, 4, 3, 2, 12, 1 a.m. To do something spiritual, you have lost the day already. Listen, by the time you start the day 6 o'clock, you must be in control and charge of the day. You determine every outcome of the day during that time. Don't be a sleeper. Be a watcher. So because of that, we sacrifice. We don't eat late in the evening. No, we don't eat late in the evening. I don't have to wake up at dawn. I was so tired yesterday. I slept without eating in the evening. By four, five, I've taken something already. Slept, woke up at dawn fresh. I've been praying till now. I will be rewarded because you were sleeping. You were sleeping. This Christian race is not for sleepers. I am telling you the truth. The Bible says that the evil one came to sow tests while men were sleeping. Almost every evil activity is done during the hours of sleep. Great men are people who sacrifice sleeping time for working time. I'm telling you, that great people, I mean every force, every walk. There are people who sacrifice the time people enjoy sleep more. Number four, number three, hardship. Hardship. Training is tough. It is demanding. An athlete will have to endure hardship. Sometimes his capacity for press-up is 50. But the man has to go about 70. It's painful. Try doing push-up and let's see how far you can go. But this man will be running. It's painful sometimes when he's running on the field. Nobody is there. Nobody is there. And he'll be watching empty seats. The park. He's only watching sellers that are around. And he's running. Nobody cares about this man. He looks casual. And sometimes I'm sure you'll be discouraged because nobody's seeing his work. Nobody's appreciating him. But there's a day where people will gather. That will be the day he'll manifest what he has been preparing for. And that's what every Christian must understand. In heaven, there will be a spiritual podium. There will be a spiritual stadium where all the believers will be watching. All the things you did on earth were a preparation. All the sacrifices. When we stand before Jesus, they will all cheer you up. And woe unto you if you sacrificed your labor in Christ for pleasure. Woe unto you on that day. That shame will be your hell. You didn't hear what I said. You will not go to hell, but the shame of doing nothing, sacrificing nothing for Jesus, that will be your hell. And guess what? You will never forget it. That shame will still be, it will be in you forever in heaven. Those who attain the glory, the glory, the joy of that glory will be in them forever. Yours also, the regret will be in you forever. Yet, Jesus is smiling with you. 
and calls you his daughter. You can imagine that that pain, that regret, that gnashing of teeth, you are carrying it for the rest of your life. Unyahushi. Unyahushi. You are still loving what you are doing? No, continue. Some of us, we have broken that mark and we have sworn on the power of the Holy Ghost that will never fail this assignment by the strength of God. We will pursue more. We will become better people every week. We, we will make sure. We will make sure. I'm not saying do my assignment. As you are working with God, as you are faithful with your discipline, spiritual discipline, the Lord will start laying a burden upon your heart. You don't have to do many things. Though. It's just one thing. What God gave to you. When Apostle Paul said, I've run the race, I've finished my work, there were many unsaved souls. In fact, the Corinthian church were committing all kinds of sexual immoralities. Yet he said, I've finished my course. So that means that finishing your race is an assignment God gave to you. If you are done with it, you are done. There are some of you, yours is going to be ushering for the next 50 years. Nobody will see you, but you are going to usher for that 50 years. That is your race. When you are done and you did it faithfully from your heart, God will appear in heaven together with you and you'll be rewarded. So you don't have to be seen doing big things. You don't have to be on this podium. In fact, pastors are to be pitied because our case is serious. Because sometimes as a pastor, you may be in the crowd, 5,000 people pastoring them. There's so much glory. People give you gifts. So you may lose the fact of your assignment. So we are even in a more dangerous state because people see the glory all around us. Listen, you still have time to live for Jesus. Hardship. Next is sacrifice. The trace of an athlete is sacrifice. He has to sacrifice friendships. He has to sacrifice some opportunities. I've sacrificed so many things. I've placed so many things on the altar and I've bent them. It's a trait of an athlete. He will sacrifice so many things. If he's preparing for a race, he can't answer calls. His friends will say he's too no. His friends will say, oh, His friends will say, hey, what is wrong with you? Why? What is happening to you? It's a sacrifice. He will lose some friends. He will lose some people in his life. It is part of it. Mostly in my life, between 12 and 6 or 12 and 9 p.m., I'm in prayer. My phone is off. I give people my time between 7 a.m. and 12 p.m. Most of the time. Not every day because there are days I go out. It's a sacrifice. Won't I lose friends? There are friends who talk to me for like one or two hours. Now I can't talk to a friend for that, that number of hours. Because that hour is losing praying time. So I can't. Somebody will say, oh, at first we were talking for two hours. What is happening? Now within 10 minutes you say your prayer time is up. It's a sacrifice. What are you sacrificing for him? Ever since you got born again, what have you sacrificed for him? Listen, when we appear in heaven, it's our sacrifices that we speak of. What we endure for the Lord, what we sacrifice for the Lord, that's, it's going to speak. It's going to be a fragrance all over you.
We said today we want to do something. Oh, we want to pray. As church workers, we want to pray. So when we pray, when we close, please don't be in a rush to go. Your appearance will have you also be just like that. They don't just pack you there. Believer. They'll pack you there. No sacrifice for him. Are you feeling okay? Five is commitment. Financial commitment. Look at an athlete. You won't find an athlete going to use his money to go and buy football. He's not a footballer. All his financial spendings are on his focus. Check it. Where his heart is, that is where his finances will be. That's, that's what proves his commitment. So if your focus is on the Lord, it will affect your finances. You will commit certain things to it that other people can do. And people will think you are a fool. I have committed all my finances to the kingdom. Every finance, Jesus rules it. He has control over it. He has control. So I don't have anything called my money. Because the man can temper with it and tell me, give it out. At any time. Commitment. Mental commitment. Your mind is for him. Emotional commitment. Everything is for him. Total commitment. That's one of the traits you see in an athlete. It is his commitment that gives him the victory. Amen. Let me give you six areas where you have to discipline yourself as a believer. If you want to get this reward. Number one, you've got to discipline yourself in your purpose. Discipline yourself in your purpose. Discipline yourself in your purpose. There are some of you, you have a strong brain desire for counseling. You have never bought any single book on counseling. You have not disciplined yourself to be able to toe on that lane as God directs you. You ask God, God, how can I use this gift I have for counseling to bless this church? Prepare. As a musician, how many songs do you listen in a week? Let me look here as I'm talking to them. How many songs do you listen a week? How many times do you rehearse a week? Eh, musicians. do you spend in what see you must you must discipline yourself in your purpose because i'm a preacher every single day no matter what i do i make sure that that purpose every single day i am attaining it i'm attaining it you discipline yourself in that purpose why god called you why you joined this church you discipline yourself to focus on it to become a better person at what you are doing that's the first area of discipline the second area of discipline is your thoughts. There are believers who just entertain all kinds of thoughts. The devil thinks his thoughts through you. Listen, your thoughts must be anointed. Your thoughts must be scriptural based. Any thought that comes to your mind that is inconsistent with scripture, you must fight it as a war. When the devil is telling you you are useless, it is a thought. Many don't know that they, they need to gain discipline over their thoughts. 
sometimes when you are praying, there are some funny thoughts that will come to your mind. I, 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 I'm, I'm touching something in the spirit. I'm touching. You'll be praying and you just be imagining a woman's buttocks whilst you are praying. Like a baka. Everybody thinks you are spiritual. You're like, Ataya, Ataya. <laughs> but in, in, in your mind, you are battling. It's a fight. Tell somebody, you must fight the fight and delete the buttocks from your mind. You must discipline your thoughts. Listen, don't allow any thoughts to stop. See, sometimes eh, the devil will think his thoughts through you. And those thoughts, eh, you will hear it as your own voice. So sometimes you may, you may be thinking you are the one thinking it. It's not you thinking it. Because you know originally, you can't think those thoughts. You know. But you are thinking it. It's like, ah! You are a married man, but some thoughts... The thoughts will be coming. Listen, the devil will throw 1,000 thoughts at you. When, you. when you overcome, he'll bring another one. You have to be disciplined in your thoughts and let your thoughts be anointed. Let it be scriptural because if your thoughts are corrupted, it will affect your life. Because if you, see, there are some thoughts, if you don't, if you don't flash it, those thoughts in meditation will now enter into your heart. And whatever gets into your heart is difficult to live. Please listen to what I'm saying. No, don't entertain some thoughts you know are not godly. Because the thoughts is the field for meditation, and meditation is the field for getting every other thing into your heart. Your thought is a gate. It's a gateway. It's a gateway into your heart. So watch your thoughts. When I say your thoughts, I'm talking of your imagination. The things that comes into your imagination. That's the battlefield. That's what the devil is fighting you. This warfare you are talking is not just hey, hey, fire, fire. No, this warfare we are talking about, they, they come as imaginations. The devil will bring in pictures. Pictures. We bring in images. He will bring in voices you heard. He will bring in things that you discuss with people and they will, they will be playing in your mind. You see your friend's car and the next thing the devil will come and voice that you see that you don't have a car. Having to realize that this guy doesn't even have the kind of qualification you have. But look at the kind of thing he's enjoying. As you, if you don't deal with that thought, I have been fighting it every day. I've been fighting it every single day because the devil will bring it. If it, The devil does not care. He will bring it even when you are praying. It will be more louder when you are praying. He'll be feeding you with the wrong information. You know why? He doesn't want you to pray. He'll corrupt it. You'll be praying. Just be imagining some naked lady. Then before you realize, ah, not lady name a bowen to say. Then before you realize your tongue is just weakening, you don't know. Lord, you know it's not me. Lord, you know it's yeah, it's not you. Deal with it. Fight. No, fight. Don't, don't let it get an inch in your life. Am I helping you? Yes, so gain discipline in your thoughts. Number three, discipline in the physical body. 
this physical body. You can call it the flesh. Listen, it is not every sleep that is natural. There are some sleeps that are carnal. Carnal sleeping. You know you have had enough rest, but you still want to sleep. It is carnal. You don't have control over your body. It's not easy to be a disciplined man, but that's the key. It's the key. You have to discipline this physical body because sometimes you slept at 12, 4 o'clock, you wake up, you, you want to pray, but before you realize, then the body is telling you, da, 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 then you just watch the time, 4 a.m. It's not part of you. Then you, before you realize, you just want to sleep. Listen, gain control. Gain discipline over this body. Don't let the body be in charge. Be in charge of your body. Paul says, I subject my body and bring it under my authority. It's one of the signs that you are ready for real Christian living. It's one of the signs. You have to discipline this body. You have eaten at 4 o'clock. There's some small hunger that you're going to feel around 8 p.m. Those hunger is no hunger. It's no hunger. It's just carnality. It is food sense. Food is sent. That's what is worrying you. Your sister went to buy fried rice. You know you want to sleep early so that you can be able to do some things. You bought fried rice or indomie and the scent passed through your nose. And like Jesu, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Oh Lord. <laughs> and you ate the fried rice with her at 11 p.m. We and all bought two bottles of water. <laughs> then you went to bed. You woke up at 5 a.m. You said, God, I wanted to wake up at 3 how come I woke up before you? are asking God, how come? <laughs> you don't get this thing. This body, you have to discipline it. When I'm talking of discipline, I'm talking about spiritual discipline. Discipline this body for spiritual things. This eye, sometimes when you are reading the Bible, to go off. As you are reading the Bible, judge, judge not. You know, as, I don't know if this has happened to you before. You were reading the Bible. Before you realize, you have been reading only one verse <laughs> for the past 30 minutes. You are not moving forward. You are not moving backwards. <laughs> then you come back again. Verse 1. As a season movie. You can't go to the next episode. You sleep those, you come at verse 1. When you're about to finish that verse, nah, it's like the enemy has, has placed you on verse 1. He says, Unko baby, ah. You have to fight this body. Go to the bathroom, go and brush your teeth. Go and bath, wash your face, kneel down and be reading. If you are doing all these things and nothing is happening, check your salvation. That means you are not saved. <laughs> Get born again, again. But one of these things, one will work. This test I was doing my normal all night for the day. All of a sudden, I slept. At least I slept for four hours. I was good. When I prayed, when I got to about three hours, some sleep from nowhere. I was kneeling down too. <laughs> and I say, hey, hey. one man of God says something in the book. He says that the devil chuckles when he sees believers sleeping in prayer. You know what it means? When he sees a believer sleeping in prayer, it's like... We were serious. That's what the devil does. So when I read that and I started sleeping, I said, hey, the devil just chuckled. I said, hey, get up. I started crawling on my knees. Kappa, hey, kappa, hey, kappa, hey, kappa. I was crawling on my knees. There was, I think, last two weeks. 
I went to do a program and I came late, but because it's a discipline, I said I'll pray into that Thursday, into Friday. It's an all night, six hour prayer for me, whether I like it or not. Hey! Hey! There are gravels in front of our house. I went there. Beloved, the gravels are sharp gravels. Eh? When I was walking on it, the pain was choking me, but I was sleeping in the pain. I was sleeping in the pain. And I started running in it. I, I didn't know what me. I was kapakata, kapakata, eka, eka, eka. Hey! I managed to do three, four hours. After the six hours, it got to a time, ladies and gentlemen, said, you ready? And you're not going to pray, why? I just opened the door. I prepared the bed. I said, Ade, why? Calling Kakra, calling Kakra, why? Me die two hours to the glory of God. I woke up at a sick. I said, Lord, praise thee. <laughs> myself <laughs> but I endured at least for four hours so you have to bring this see this body will let you do so many things so many things that is not of God but by the power of the spirit look at the verse in Romans chapter 8 the verse 13 look look at it Romans 8 13 Romans 8 13 Come to the verse 12 first. Look, he says, oh, this, this verse, go and write this verse down and read it. He says, therefore, brethren, we are not debtors to the flesh. He says, we are debtors, not to the flesh, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. That means we don't owe the flesh a dime. We don't owe the flesh a dime. We are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. Next verse. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. You will kill your Christian life. He says, but if through the spirit, ye do mortify, you kill the deeds of the body, ye shall live. When you wash that face, brush that teeth, put the robe behind your eyelid, and stay to read your Bible or stay to pray or go and do another spiritually productive activity. He says that is how you live. We live by dying. Dying to the flesh every single day. Apostle Paul said, I die daily. How many times do you die? Some of you die yearly. Paul says, I die daily. So every day he's killing the passions. Every single day is a fight. Listen, my day is always a day of fighting. Fighting this flesh, giving it no authority. Giving it no authority. You cannot always be using the excuse that I don't know what happened to me and I want to do it. That's a canal talk. I don't know what's happening. It seems something is controlling me. Nothing is controlling you. You are controlling you. It seems I don't know. Before I realize, then I think has happened. Hey! Just lying to yourself, you're looking for a, a very short, a very short way to escape that fight. But I'm telling you, you'll meet it one day if you don't deal with it now. You surely.
Number four, you discipline yourself in the, in the area of the use of time. The use of time. Oh my goodness. Believers, how do you use your time in the day? I'm always sharing some of my experiences not to, to look that, not to look above you or not to look that I'm a special person. Not to look that I am gaining some ascendancy over you. No, I use those examples to let you know it is possible. You must discipline yourself in the area of time. Listen, every 15 minutes you waste. By the time you are 100 years, you have wasted 25 years of your life. Let me repeat that again. Every 15 minutes you waste, by the time you are 100 years old, 25 years was wasted. It was that thing that I saw that changed me. I don't waste time. I must be engaged in an activity. You are a student. Don't be playing game every day. Don't be wasting your life. Have a timetable. Don't let time just fly. Have a timetable, either mentally or have a timetable physically on the wall, how you live your day. Now 12 p.m. is a praying time. It's a discipline. I'll be talking to you on phone. When it's 12, I'll cut the line irrespective of who you are. They, they are witnesses to it. They'll be talking to me. It's 12. I said, bro, I'll catch you later. I cut the line and I pray. It's a discipline. Sometimes I use my wife as my clock. The return of my wife as a clock. When she goes to work, she can come at 7, she can come at 8, she can come at 9, she can come at 10. So she's my time. So from 12 p.m., I'll be kappa, e kappa, e kappa, e kappa, till she returns. So if she returns at 10, that's the time I end my prayer. You think it's an easy thing? It's not easy. Sometimes I'll be praying after 7 o'clock, then my flesh wants to stop. But I am disciplining this thing. How do you use your time? How do you use your time? I'm asking you. WhatsApp has taken your time. Status has taken your time. Facebook has taken your time. Instagram has taken your time. Those times you are using for these fruitless things. If you read a book on a very important subject, your life would have never been the same. Now, I, I have more than 1,500 books. When I, the way I've arranged them, they are scary. So they scare myself. So when I look at Netflix and I look at the books, I know that every one hour 30 minutes movie is going to cost me one hour 30 minutes knowledge and revelation. So I have to choose one. How are you using time? Your friend will come. You, you were going to do something. Your friend just comes. Boom, you just move with him. You, you have a discipline you use. You know, someone calls you. Boom, you just change everything. Don't live your Christian life like that. Discipline yourself in the use of time. Use time profitably. Because time can be either a physical investment or a spiritual investment. What are you using your time for? Those of you who say you can pray, I'm just shocking for you. You have 24 hours. In between that 24 hours, there's a lot of free times. Free times. 
Yet you are saying you don't have time. What are you saying? How do you have time to reply people's messages? How do you have time to call people? How do you have time to return people's phone calls? What are you saying? You have time. You are just deceiving yourself. You have time. In fact, you have so much time. What are you telling me? You work for eight hours. What's the rest of the 16 hours? What do you use it for? Listen, you just sit down. Give an account of your time in 24 hours. Just give the account. You realize how you have failed. How you were using your time. The day I did that check, I said, so I wasted all this time. Multiply it by every year I'm living my life. Listen, there are sometimes eh, you are doing, let's say, marketing. It is not just what you are learning from the lectures. That should be knowledge you should acquire. Use time to become an expert at what you do. That was just by the way. But whatever I'm saying now is, is concerning spiritual investment. Use your time well. Watch the movie back when yeah. A year, you watch one hour thirty minutes movie, you finish. You watch another one hour thirty minutes, you finish. You watch two hours forty seven minutes, you finish. You watch another three hours forty seven minutes. Why? Why? What's wrong with you? Ask the person what's wrong with you. Vampire's diary. Flash, you'll be flashed out of life. Season one, season two, season three, 45 minutes each. Oh, imagine if you watch 10 episodes, multiply 45 minutes times 10. That's how many 450 minutes, 450 minutes. And all the G with this. Hey, you don't understand this thing. You don't get this thing. Number five, you discipline yourself in the area of speech. In the area of speech, control what you say. There are some of you who just say anything that comes to your mouth. And sometimes you're not even ashamed of some of the things you say. We all sometimes say some things. But you must be disciplined in your speech. Sometimes I can say something, I just forget myself. I say, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. I am conscious of that discipline. You have to be disciplined in the words you say. The words that you have been saying. Discipline your mouth. There are some words, vow not to use them. Some of you, you just insult someone just like that. Evil words proceed from out of this mouth. Negative words. Mewo, mewo. As for this, hey, I'll have to die before I do it. Ah! Hey, this one, I'll use my children's blood to pay for it. Hey! Many believers are loose. The devil is going to capitalize. Listen, you are anointed. And because you are anointed, your words carry life. There are some words you are saying today. It's a seed you have sown. You reap it. 
Ma bro, me wu. Listen, discipline yourself in your speech. Make sure what you are saying is scripture. I'm telling you, when you realize you've gone off course, just apologize to the Holy Spirit and do the right thing. There are some words that shouldn't proceed from. Listen, in fact, there are some expensive jokes as a Christian. You don't say them. They are expensive jokes as a Christian. I don't, you don't know it's in the Bible. Eh? This Bible you are seeing. Eh? Ephesians chapter 5. Give that to me in NLT. Ephesians chapter 5. Give that to me from the verse 4. NLT. Ephesians 5, the verse 4. Look, come, you come to the verse 3. This will shock you. He said, the verse 3. He says, but fornication and uncleanliness. Let, okay. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place amongst God's people. Next verse. He says, obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, expensive jokes. He says, these are not for you. There are some jokes as a Christian. Don't, don't say them. Don't say them. Don't say them. It's a wrong spirit. He says they are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. So the Bible tells us how to talk. Cause joking, obscene stories. There are some sexual stories you don't chat with people about it. Obscene. Discipline yourself in your speech. The words that you say. Now some of you have not noticed, but your words are rude. You don't know it. But by the time you finish talking, three sentences, three people are offended. And surprisingly, you have not noticed it. You shouldn't have said that word. It's offensive. Stop it. Are you a fool? Stop. That word you added, are you a fool? It's wrong. Discipline your speech. Tell somebody, discipline your speech. And you see, be so conscious of how you talk. Maokasa any one one. Ephesians chapter 4. The Bible has a lot to say about this matter. The verse 29. Is it in 29 or is rather Colossians? Good. Look. Let no corrupt communication. This is Bible talking to you. Proceed out of your mouth. But that which is what? Good. To the use of what? Edifying. That it may what? Ah, minister grace to those who hear you. Give that to me in NLT. Let's see the one that he's going to do for us. Look. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be what? An encouragement to those who hear them. This is helpful. Maybe your whole life, the house you grew in, you are used to insulting people. You are used to using those words. But you have come here and God is teaching you. You may have done that for the past 17 years. Now you don't see it as anything. 
Today, I want to enlighten you. You've got to discipline yourself in your speech. Then finally, discipline yourself in your appetites. Appetites. If you don't discipline yourself in your appetites, you can never fast. I'm talking of appetites. I'm talking of all the appetites that the things you desire to want to do. They are all appetites. Sexual appetite, food appetite, they are appetites. You have to discipline it. That's why you have what we call self-control. This one is not God control. It's what? Self means what? No. Self means what? Self. So God has given you the ability to control yourself. You can decide, I'm not doing this. In the strength of God, you won't do it. I want you to delete that thing saying that I don't know what is controlling me. Nothing is controlling you. It's a lie. It's the devil that is sowing that thought to you that, oh, I can't stop. This thing I've been doing, I can't stop. It's a lie. You have to discipline your appetites. If you have decided to fast three times this week in a 60 days fast, make sure you fulfill it. Don't let watch a saint. I'm prophesying, I know. Buffalo sent. Beans sent. Meanwhile, to the beans, when you're going to buy it, it's not nice. But because you discipline yourself to fast, that smell becomes a nice smell. Is the, see, the devil is fighting us every single day. If you want to win this battle, the first key is discipline. That's why we have only few people who are disciplined. Because of the toughness that comes out of with it. My father has been waking up 4 a.m. every single day for over 35 years. Do you think it began that way? No. No matter how tired he is, if he sleeps at 2 a.m., he'll wake up at 4 a.m. Do something to leave a better spiritual legacy for yourself and your children. Much more. All the disciplines and sacrifices you make for the Lord, he's going to reward it. God bless you. Okay, so we want to pray for five minutes. We have, we have to close at 9.30. So I don't know. I was praying this down here and then I saw a name. I didn't see clearly. But if, if it's not here, that means it's either for second service or um, it's for someone in the program I'm going. But I still want to mention it. So that I don't know if anybody is connected to a name like, is it Eric Ofusu or Eric Owusu? One of them. I don't know, Eric Owusu or Eric Ofusu. I saw it in a flash when I was praying. So if it's nobody connected to you, then I'm going to say that during the second service. Eric Owusu or Eric Ofusu. All right. Secondly, justice. Justice. Who is that? Okay. So, um, when we close, because of the time, I can't do anything here. So, we are going to pray for that person. Okay. There was something I saw. I won't say it on the microphone. So, um, right, let me hold on here. Is there anybody here who has an uncle? I don't know if it's a father or an uncle who is into shoes, like he sells shoes and sandals. 
I saw a dark man with gray hair holding sandals. That's what I'm asking. Okay, so that means you're going to do that in the second service. All right, that's fine. Lift up your hands and let's pray. Speak in tongues. Come on, I like the Lord to strengthen you. As you get ready for this crown, as you are preparing for these crowns, ask the Lord to help you. <laughs> 